Some of you may have seen, and others at least heard of, the recently released movie Silence by director Martin Scorsese. The movie is based upon the novel of the same name by the Japanese author Shusake Endo. It's loosely based on the actual experience of the Japanese church in the early 17th century. The Jesuits had been tasked with spreading the faith in Japan, and they met with some success, converting hundreds of thousands of native Japanese to the faith. However, the Japanese authorities feared foreign influences and unleashed a brutal persecution of the fledgling Japanese Catholics and the Jesuit missionaries who ministered to them. Indeed, tomorrow is the commemoration of the martyrdom of St. Paul Miki and his companions, who were a group of both Western and Japanese Catholics who died for the faith during this era. But in the movie, two Italian Jesuit priests are sent to Japan to investigate the disappearance of a third Jesuit priest under mysterious circumstances. When they arrive, they make contact with a small group of underground Japanese Catholics who hide them in their village. Having been without a priest for many years, the people are overjoyed to finally be able to have Mass celebrated for them and to receive the sacraments. Yet the Japanese authorities eventually get wind that there are new missionaries in the area and the two Jesuits and the lay Catholics are captured. In order to break the spirit of the Christians, the Japanese use torture to get the faithful to step on an image of Christ as a sign of apostasy. But the Japanese leaders realize that they have a problem, in that while it's possible through the application of physical torture to get the faithful to step on the image of Christ, they can always repent of their apostasy and be restored to the faith. So the Japanese authorities come up with a better plan. They torture the Japanese lay Catholics in the presence of one of the priests, telling the priest that they will only stop if he renounces his own faith. The authorities recognize that because the people hold the priests in such high esteem, that if they see the priests commit apostasy, they will give up the faith for good. So you can see the dilemma this places the priest into. He was prepared to suffer and die for his own faith. What he has more trouble doing is standing by and watching other innocent people suffer and die for the faith. Many of us know the tales of the great Christian martyrs, those brave men and women who died rather than renounce the faith. Indeed, in the early church, with the exception of the Blessed Virgin Mary and John the Beloved Apostle, the only saints that were widely celebrated were martyrs which is why the catalog of saints is still called the Martyrology, even though it now contains many non-martyr saints. Martyrdom was and still is considered the highest crown that a Christian can obtain. Yet silence presents us with the intriguing question of whether it's appropriate to refuse to renounce the faith, even if it means that others might die. In doing so, it highlights an error that might befall our understanding of martyrdom. Martyrdom is, as the Catechism says, the supreme witness given to the truth of the faith, bearing witness even unto death. It's an act rooted in faith, hope, and love. Yet if we are not careful, it can be conflated with the modern liberal idea of self-determination. 
that what is valuable about martyrdom is simply that the person was willing to die, that it's commendable merely because it shows the strength of their conscience, that what's important is not what the person believed, but only that they were willing to die for it. So how does one approach a situation where standing fast fast to the faith means that others will die? In the movie, the priest chooses apostasy in order to save the others, believing that it's the greater act of love to deny his Christian faith rather than to let others suffer. That's a very seductive idea, one that many modern people, Christian and non-Christian, might agree with. It's one thing to die for your ideals, the thinking goes, but it's too much to let someone else die for them. But what does Jesus Christ himself tell us? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The gospel does not admit of exceptions, as much as we might want to believe that some higher good can be at stake. We can never do anything contrary to the truth because we think it might spare ourselves or anyone else some evil. If that were the case, we wouldn't share our Christian faith at all, because we know from last week's gospel that it's the beatitude of a Christian to suffer. To share the faith with someone is necessarily to share the cross with them. Yet what this priest does in this movie is, in effect, to steal someone else's cross from them, not to take it upon himself, because in this case, he can't do that. The Japanese authorities aren't going to torture and kill him but to take it away from these Japanese Catholics by denying the faith that they are suffering for. As well as intention as it might have been, this isn't compassion. It's cruelty. It's condescension, believing that others can't rise to the dignity of martyrdom. The priest foolishly thinks that the people are suffering for his faith instead of recognizing that they are suffering for the faith of us all. Our Lord calls Christians salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. He uses the second person plural, which we don't have in modern English, unless one, I suppose, is far enough south that you can say y'all. Christ is speaking to all of us together, not to any one of us alone. I am not the salt of the earth or the light of the world. Neither is any individual Christian here or anywhere. Rather, as Christians, as the church, we are salt and light together. That means that in some cases, different persons will have different roles in the church. Some will be ordained and some will be lay. Some will be celibate and some will be married. Some will be in religious life, others in secular life. Some will suffer martyrdom, others won't. Each sphere, each role, each vocation has to be respected or else the church loses something of her ability to season and to illuminate. The hermit praying alone in the desert exists for the sake of the Christian family in the city, and vice versa. Every part of the church exists for the sake of building up every other part. Any gifts that we have received as individuals are meant not for us, but for the building up of the church. Faith is a public, not a private reality. Martyrs don't die for their faith, they die for the faith. 
That means that we have to recognize that our role as Christians is not always to relieve the sufferings of others, as though that is always and everywhere the highest good. Rather, as Christians, we see deeper. We see the deeper reality that suffering unites us to the cross of Christ. The world, of course, can never understand this, because to the world, maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain is the only fixed principle. To think that leads to many erroneous ideas, many of which, in fact, are modern world. St. Paul reminds us that our faith does not rest on human wisdom, then or now. Instead, our faith teaches us to recognize that we are called to support others in the vocation of suffering, sometimes even on to martyrdom, accompanying them as best we can as they take up their cross, and praying that they are there for us, whether in heaven or on earth, as we are called to take up our own. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.